Okay, since I was able to get my hands on Olivo oil in 2021, I have been preaching the gospel. And if you don't know what Olivo oil is, it is an at-home infuser. It infuses everything. So whether you want to get a little bit more creative with your food or you like relaxing bombs that you can make, this machine is here to help you. They're always expanding and they're always growing. You can save 10% by using the code DUTIABRUJA. And if gummies are something you have a difficult time with, they have a little mixer that is perfect. So check them out today, levooil.com. I'm Bex Carlos, and you're listening to Tutia Bruja. Happy Small Business Saturday, y'all. And I love supporting small business. That's something that's very important to me. Please check out my Instagram and see all of the different small businesses that I have highlighted. I want to take the opportunity because a lot of people have been asking me, like, why are you re-releasing your episodes? Why did you take back your catalog? And honestly, I feel like this show, you know, I started it in 2020 and it's been through this whole evolution of what it is, sometimes by choice, sometimes not by choice. And I wanted to start fresh and really release episodes in correspondence to like what's going on with me and my life, what I see happening in the world. And the best way to connect to the world around you is by, you know, like working through a lot of trauma. I'm so fascinated with what is the mother wound, which is, you know, that pain, that sadness, that hurt that comes from mother, from daughter, and so on and so on. And I always say that, like, when your grandmother was pregnant with your mom, your mom had all of the eggs that would become you you know, and so we carry a lot of stuff in our ancestral blood that we don't always think about or talk about. And, you know, some of the stuff that I have like been working through is my abuelo on my mom's side was a fucking machista. When Emiliano Zapata, the Mexican revolution and all of this land was distributed to people, my grandfather was 15 and he benefited from that. And he had this land that he then grew agave on. And that was a way of supporting the family. And he wasn't very smart with his money. And I feel like, again, in a machista fashion, he didn't care about like his family as much as he should have. He cared about like his friendships and his brothers. And, you know, I'll go into that a lot deeper one day, but like right now is not the time. He was such a stubborn, boneheaded man. And I've learned that because of that as well, I am a stubborn, boneheaded person. My mom tells me that my grandfather used to work for Don Javier Sousa, who, if you know anything about tequila and just how it came to the US and all of these different things um, in the history of tequila making and the industry and whatnot. Don Javier was the third in the family legacy that was Tequila Sousa. It started with Cenobio. I then believe it was Eladio. And then it was Don Javier. Then Don Javier made the choice to 
sell the factory and they didn't make tequila for a long time. But my grandfather grew agave for Don Javier. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what the fuck was my abuelo's deal this particular day, but he like went the fuck off on Don Javier and was just like, Toma tu trabajo y vete a la chingada gala. And he basically was just like, take this job and shove it. And it's interesting because the town of Tequila is so small, right? And my Nina Sara, my aunt Sarah, she worked at the factory until it closed. And Don Javier had said to her that he really had a lot of respect for my grandfather, mi abuelo, because he was one of the few people that would really tell him the truth. You know, when you are wealthy, when you are successful, you have a lot of people who are yes people and they just say yes to you and they say yes and they don't want to like upset you. They always want to appease you. And, you know, uh, I think it's that whole idea of that real sea is real, you know. Circling back, I want to talk about the Sousa line because, like I said, Don Javier sold the factory. He had two children. And today's guests are the continued legacy because sometimes there are breaks in the chain, right? Like sometimes you need to come back to your roots and figure out the things that are important to you. Because again, it is Small Business Saturday. I want to highlight Tequila Fortaleza. It's also known as Tequila Abuelos in Mexico and a couple of other parts. They are the respected fifth and sixth generations. So they started making tequila again in 2005. I'm going to be honest, you know, I only discovered them in 2020. And it's really good tequila. They make it the same way that it was made 150 years ago. This is an older episode. I did release this, I believe, in 2021. I want you to know that there are a few things that are a little dated, but I've now since been to the distillery and it's beautiful. And there is this cave that you can have drinks in. It's such a good time. And I really highly recommend that you go and check out the legacy that both Niermo Sousa and Billy Erickson Sousa, his son, have been keeping up and just putting into the world. It really is a magical place. And it feels like a timestamp in a lot of ways because it's the same way that it was done when Zenobio Sousa did it. Before we jump into the episode, I do want to highlight that the reason that I decided to originally do this episode is because when I was talking to my mom about tequila and just a lot of the history about it, and my mom knew because again, tequila is a small town, and she knew that Niermo was making tequila again. But it's funny because she knew him as a little boy. She knew him when he was Billy. And she was just like, deberías mandarle un correo electrónico a Billy a ver si te contesta. And I was like, what? It was just so interesting to go into a deep dive about how my ancestors are connected to this industry and it's in the blood. And to this day, I still make a lot of cocktails. And also there's a little bit of lure around Mr. Cenobio Sousa, you know, and it's I don't know what to take it as because Mexico is a very haunted place. There's a lot of folklore and you always wonder, you know, where does this come from? But additionally, I do think that there are a lot of people that like to discredit the work of their competitors and always give them sometimes a sinister feel. So the reason that I really wanted um, them on the show is to talk about the factory and everything that they do. But additionally, there is lore that Cenobio Sousa sold his soul to the devil. And the legend goes, he sold his soul to the devil and he did it in this particular cave. And if you go to this cave, you hear the words, todo o nada, all or nothing. So you have to leave said cave, right? 
with every piece of gold that you find or you get nothing. I love a good selling your soul to the devil story and I thought you would enjoy it too. Let's jump into the episode. One thing that I've never really mentioned about my background is that I come from the land of tequila. My ancestors were very much involved in the process of growing agave and the town they're from is so wild. (laughs) And I just, I needed to tell the story a little bit. So I'm really excited today. I have Billy Erickson on the show, who is the sixth generation of the Sousa legacy. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, of course. My pleasure, Bex. Thank you for inviting me. First of all, how often do you get to go to the town? Do you still get to go pretty often or is it like a once a year thing? Oh, so prior to COVID, I was down there probably every other month or about every six weeks or so. So very active in the, okay. So I get to go once a year. I, I always make the most of it. And it's just such an amazing town. And it's wild because before the recording, uh, we kind of talked about some of the folklore which, you know, not a lot of people are aware of. You had no idea until I told you, right? Yeah, no, that's totally correct. That was a, a neat little piece of information I, I shared with my team. What did they say? None of them had heard that either. They were quite surprised to find out that my great, great, great grandfather allegedly sold his soul to the devil. I didn't actually get the chance to tell my dad. So I'm hoping when he pops on here. I'm interested in seeing what he says. Okay, maybe you guys can hear me now. Speak of the devil. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. We started the conversation, but I'm so excited to introduce Niermo Erickson Sousa, who is the fifth generation of the Sousa legacy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. One of the questions that I kind of wanted to ask you, I had informed Billy. Billy was not aware and had told the team, your did you know that there's a legend that he sold his soul to the devil? Yeah, some guys started that here. Uh, tourist people are telling it. And uh, of course, you know, uh, we had never heard that until about six years ago when they started this tour bus thing. And some guys started telling it on the tour bus. That's the first time we heard about it because they all come by the property here. These tour buses look like barrels. They have one that's made like a guitar. And so they got to tell some stories to uh, to keep the people entertained. And since we're kind of a high visible property here, well, you know, it goes with it as far as I'm concerned. Is it something that you kind of just think is amusing or is it something you're just like <laughs> about... Well, we think we actually know the guy that started it. So, you know, and they talk about the cave and the story and all that. The hard luck that my grandfather had at one time in his life. So, but uh, no, I don't give a lot of credence to it, but I give it, you know, it's something for them to talk about to their tourists that are on their bus. Honestly, I would embrace it because everyone loves a good, you know, selling your soul to the devil (laughs) story. If nothing else, why not profit off the folklore, you know? Yeah, I thought it was pretty entertaining. Yeah, it's, it's to me, it's kind of a negative. I mean, we all work hard down here, and I saw it as just somebody trying to, you know, they say the house is haunted and in the story, too, and I just like, all right, well. I will say this, though, because I believe, I could be mistaken, but I believe my grandparents bought the house that Don Javier had built that was kind of around the corner from there. And I will tell you, that house is really creepy. Very creepy. I was actually just there. The town, it has a lot of stories. It has a lot of like memories, you know? And I think that sometimes energies, they stay. 
I'd really love to help keep the money, you know, with the people who are still living there. There's just so many celebrities making tequila now, you know? Well, there's an issue with that. And the issue is, yeah, certainly a guy like George Clooney who came in and he contracted a brand, who knows what he was paying, $4 a bottle, maybe $6 a bottle, packaged and everything out of a giant distillery, what we call a maquila or a twin plant, but that the word doesn't really translate to twin plant as the people know the twin plant. It's truly a contracted plant. I think he got to about 300,000 cases when he sold, which is a pretty good amount. If you get any brand of 300,000 cases, that's pretty good. And then he sold out to Diageo for, uh, I don't know, 700, 800 million dollars somewhere. And then with a future payment of 300 million, which he's probably coming up on. And now Diageo took that brand to 1 million cases. But I mean, you can't go visit the distillery and you're certainly not going to ever meet George Clooney there, you know? Never. So it's just, it's a fad, you know, people do that. And certainly we agree with you. The money should stay in Mexico, but it's tough. I mean, here in Mexico, we have a big problem of not being able to get access to reasonable capital. And big companies can get capital for 1.5% interest. Diageo just released 800 million of bonds for about 1.5 to 2% interest. I go to the bank here and need some money to finance inventory growth. They said, well, yeah, 15% is what we'll give you, you know. So small companies have a terrible time competing with the large companies. And then, um, you know, the capital goes because at some point, you know, uh, people get tired of beating their head against the wall against the big brands, maybe. I don't know. And the big brands offer a lot of money, obviously, to buy you out all the time. We've been approached by everybody, but I actually made a T-shirt that says not for sale. We have the house uh, on the Central Plaza that was my tatarabuelo's home. My great-grandfather, my bisabuelo, and his six other brothers and sisters were born there. My grandfather turned it into a museum. My mom did some upkeep on it to fix it, and I'm going to do another major level upgrade to the museum, to the quality of the museum. We're going to invest uh, probably about half a million dollars in air conditioning. And we got documents in there from the 1700s. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've been berated by people that come in and see these paintings in well, we have the dry time right now, zero humidity, 95 degrees. And then during the wet time, we go to 60% humidity and rain every other day. And <laughs> I get berated by people because we don't have these paintings and documents uh, protected in a environment that minimizes their loss. But that's one of the projects we have on the board, probably get to it later this year, maybe after the rainy season, because it's a major project. Uh, we're redoing floors in there to put them back to original uh, mosaic floors that they used back then. And the house is in very good condition, but we're going to take the opportunity of we're opening the floors up. We'll run the air conditioning ducts through the floor and we'll run the new electrical. We're going to put in a grounded electrical system with uh, a lot more capacity and we'll run the lines underneath the floor so we don't have to cut the walls. It's a true adobe home, a single story, about uh, 6,000 square feet of space, I believe. So with your distillery, do you have like a space for people to sit and like, do you do food and drink like some of the other like places? Like what is accessible to folks when they come? So we have a couple of packets. We have just a basic tour. You're coming in and seeing the factory. I think the next level up takes you up. We got a lookout point. And the third level is uh 
there's an area you could sit. We have a reservoir. Uh, we have a flood control reservoir on our property. And so we manage level of that reservoir. And during the rainy season, we drop it a meter or so to absorb floodwaters. And uh, so we have a kiosk out there and we're actually in the process of turning that open so that it'll be fish tacos. But we, we do events for people and like somebody wants to have a lunch on our property, they're able to eat right there. And it's beautiful. It's underneath the leaves of a what we call a parota tree, a P-A-R-O-T-A. It's a very tough wood. It's a very, very big tree, over 100 years old. And we have two of those trees. The other one's about 150 years old. So you can sit underneath this tree right by the reservoir and you're in the middle of the agave fields and people just the factories near the gate, but once you go past the distillery, you're on a ranch. We got chickens uh, running around, free range chickens running around, and we got sheep. We got about 15 dogs, I think, now. And everybody loves it here because it's all old trees. Uh, we have mango trees that are probably 100 years old. And so you sit in the shade of these trees and you enjoy this lake. And it's, uh, well, it's a reservoir, but it's, it's just amazing. And so like if you called up tomorrow and said, I want a tour, or I want to have a lunch, it's only by appointment. You can schedule one of the three varieties They're on the website and um, you want to have lunch and you know you want a special meal that my, our team puts together the recommendation and they can put together like from fish tacos to uh, steak, you know, they can put together pretty much what anybody asks for. We got a contract chef that comes in to helps out this really good guy. It's an experience. I can only tell you that uh, everybody that comes just they're stunned, you know, because really nobody else has an offering similar to that. And we're trying to improve it too. For instance, we're going to add a horse-drawn cart around the property. We're on about 75 acres, which about half are planted with agave. And so you can see different years of agave and the road around it's pretty good. we got trees pretty much on about half of the road around it. The other half's in the sun. So, you know, it's a working ranch. We actually... uh, you know, there's uh, six guys working on the ranch all the time out here. Besides, uh, we got about 80 people in the distillery and in bottling and office people. So um, then we have people in the field too, because I've got some other agave fields. So they're out there working in those fields too. So it's a busy place in, in terms of that, you know, but it's it's functional. I'm fortunate doing what Zenobio Sousa did. He lived here full time. My great-grandfather moved to Guadalajara. And then when we were growing up, we pretty much came out here during the summers and we spent the summers out here. So I... Um, you know, to me, I ate under the mango trees with my grandfather and I want to keep it pretty much exactly like it was when I was a kid. And it is. My mom did a great job of keeping it the same way. And now it's my turn. And the only thing we built on this property is uh, a garage. Everything else is just kind of fixed up. I tell you, if you were here 20 years ago when we started, you wouldn't even notice. And the distillery is over 100 and I think it's around 150 years old. And we're still 100% with the town. We don't have a roller mill or anything like that. So we're still limited to what we can crush by the stone every day. And we do all the bottling on site. And we have been asked to make tequila for many people. And, you know, some famous movie stars have asked us to make tequila for them. And do a movie here and then promote a brand out of this and confuse the public. So 
but how dare you make me want to go see this beautiful property that you own? And that's really cool that you've kept it almost exactly the same. I think that, you know, there's so many different things in that town and, and it's changed so much. It's wild. Every time I go back, I just see something different. This last time it had been a while since I'd gone. There's a casino there. <laughs> like, what? When did that pop up in the town? Yeah, out on the highway right by the drugstore. You know, I think in our generation, you know, I'm a baby boomer generation. We we probably don't like change, but there's other people like, say, like a Donald Trump who likes to build and change everything, you know? So I think the world's made of these people that see a piece of land and say, oh, I can build a 20-story building there, or, you know, or a 100-story building there. And then there's other people like me who say, I want it to stay exactly the same so people can have the experiences of 100 years ago. You know, Cuervo, unfortunately, when my grandfather died, my uncle and my mom, we had to split up the assets and we knew we wanted to keep key assets so that we could start the tequila company one day again. And we were successful in doing that. But my uncle had received some properties, like the property right next to the museum, which was even bigger than the museum property and had most of the center of that block. And he sold it for a song and Cuervo bought it from those guys and they actually sold it to Alfonso Rendine and then Alfonso Rendine put the land into with Cuervo and Cuervo built this giant five-story hotel behind us. And Beckman's a nice guy, the owner of Cuervo, and he came to visit us and you know, we kept our little museum and he's bought up almost the entire block for his hotel. There's a couple other holdouts, typical. And now we got a five-story wall on the back of our museum. But I mean, you know, that's what happens. And you got to be able to deal with some of these things that change, because if you're locked in and you say you don't want any change at all, and that's just not going to happen. The reality is in a growing town and uh, tequila is booming. Agave use is up 50% year to date this year over last year. And that's crazy to see that kind of increase in demand on agave, mature agave. It's a boom times right now for the tequila manufacturers, for the agave growers. Uh, tequila's been growing, I don't know, six, seven, eight percent a year, which is big numbers for distilled spirits growth. You uh, millennials are drinking too much, I think. We are. Times are hard. <laughs> We're coping. And also, I just, uh, it's wild because I worked in a head shop for a little bit here. And, you know, times are changing, you know, and they're trying to legalize it federally everywhere, but it's a whole thing. But it was an essential business during COVID when we were like locked down. And it's just really interesting, the growth in a lot of different things, uh, coping mechanisms, if you will. So I think you're right. I think we are kind of drinking too much and smoking too much. We're just needing to survive. <laughs> you know, and try and enjoy it as much as possible. I mean, you can imagine the change that my grandfather saw when he was eight. He lost three fingers in an accident, one of the agave mills here. Well, back then it was a horseback carriage ride in 1908 to go from here to Guadalajara, where the nearest doctor was. And so where we can drive in an air-conditioned car now, and there's a tollway that give you the right to pay you $9 to get there. and But you get there in about 45 minutes, and then you sit in traffic. So... <laughs> <laughs> The town has grown so much. You're so right. And one thing I kind of want to circle back to is the process of like weed legalization in Mexico. It looks like that's going to happen if it hasn't already. I agree with you. It's going to happen. How do you feel about it? Well, it doesn't, you know, I, I have a lot of 
close friends that are frequent smokers. I don't smoke. Um, I never have. I have a lot of friends that smoke. It doesn't bother me. I mean, it doesn't bother me at all. And it each to their own. Um, certainly, uh, I think it'll be legalized. It's just, it's another way to relax for people. Yeah. And I know people that need it to calm down. They use it for its medicinal effects. I have eaten it. I've taken it to sleep. My girlfriend turned me on to that. So that's successful if you have small amounts in, she makes like a cookie and it helps me sleep when you're under a lot of stress. Or like maybe some cannabis infused drinks because I've just actually started making a honey and it's really, like you said, for people who want to sleep, like it'd be a good nightcap. Oh, yes. And I agree with you. Um, we actually have a bartender getting married here. Um, we had to close to tourism that afternoon because we'll have the bartender's wedding here. We do a lot of events here like that. We have fun. We just have fun. And it's it's great for me. Uh, for me and Billy, we really feel like we're sharing this property. And I'm telling you, it's just stunningly beautiful. And it's the only property like this and uh, in this area. I mean, Quarvo has a nice property, but they don't have what we have. And we're very fortunate. And uh, the people that come just are stunned and we want to share it. We want We want people to come and visit us. That's why we're putting the kiosk is going to become a fish taco house for like Baja style and grilled fish tacos, kind of simplifying it kind of a so that people, we can handle a little bit more tourism. And, and if people want to have a, you know, they've been here for two hours, they want to have something to eat, they can grab a couple of tacos and sit by the lake. And uh, before they leave, you know, they can have a nice relaxing time and get something to eat. We're eventually going to put uh, something at the museum too. It'll be more of a coffee shop with light food. So you could sit in there too, in the patio we have at the museum and have a espresso or a shot or espresso and a shot and half a sandwich or whatever, or a salad. We want to have something similar to that so that people can have a nice time, but also get a little bit of food if they're coming from Guadalajara for the day. Most of the tourism we see here comes for the day. We have a couple of beautiful hotels. The hotel that Cuervo made is beautiful. You know, it's a five-story one I was telling you about behind our property. Absolutely stunning, gorgeous on the inside. It's like an old hacienda too, but it's obviously it's brand new. And then our neighbor over here at the brand called Tequileño, he's a really nice guy. He built a hotel too. More of a maybe modern style, but very, very nice. In fact, we're going there tonight for dinner. So it's improved the ability of um, places to eat here, greatly improved. Like I maybe go to Guadalajara once every two weeks. So That's cool. I'm really happy that you're able to experience like the life of tequila like every day. That's amazing. I'm so it's happy. A, it's a truly pastoral life here. It's a small town. We do go to the bar here. Our friend's a veterinarian. He has a bar and, you know, he's open Wednesday through Sunday. And so we usually go there, well, since the virus came out, maybe a little bit less, but we usually go twice a week and we would uh, maybe stay till about 11. Now we go at seven and we get out of there by nine because we don't want to be around a lot of people. And so far, I've been very fortunate we haven't gotten it. And so we're being cautious in terms of... Uh, a social mingling. We haven't traveled really. I travel on a motorbike, but at 60 miles an hour, the virus doesn't catch up to me. <laughs> You're too fast for it. So uh, much to know, experience here. 
Yeah, there truly is. And that's something that makes me really sad when I go to the town because everyone leaves before the end of the day. And I'm like, why? There's so much to do. And I really hope that in the future, there are more places that offer more nightlife, having more of an experience, you know, and doing something you can't just do in any city, you know, in any place, you know, is is the... The difference. So, well, we um, keep people busy here that come. You know, they we can keep busy. We're doing about a tour a day right now, so hopefully we get back up to four or five tours a day. They the tours, like I say, anywhere from hour and a half to three hours, depending on how much the people want to see and learn. But everything's on site here, so you definitely, when you're coming down, I want you to reach out. I'd really love to see it. My mom grew up in the, they always call it La Casa Vieja. And it was across from the property bought from Huervo at one point, which I guess, uh, oh, what was it called? La Quinta? Yeah. So La Quinta Salsa. So that was bought in 1968 by my grandfather. And what happened was Guadalupe, now what's her last name? But she died and she was the owner of Cuervo. And so when she died, she inherited the factory to uh, the Beckman family who had married one of her cousins. And Beckman is a German name. And the father was a German consul in uh, Tijuana. And they were living up in Tijuana when they inherited the factory. So they had to come down and factory figure out how to run it and all that. And meanwhile, the, the lady that died, her caretaker inherited La Quinta. And so she didn't want it. And so she went to the Beckmans. She said, why don't you buy me out? And apparently they didn't have the cash flow at that time. So they said, no, we don't. We just inherited the factory. And so the story was told to me. And so she went to my grandfather and saw him at his office. And and she came to him and said she wanted to sell. And my grandfather said, great, what's your price? And I think back then he paid $200,000 for that property, which was in 1968, $200,000, probably equivalent to about $6 million now, maybe ten. But uh, he wouldn't let her out of the office. He said, oh, why don't you stay here? And they got her food and he gave her cash down payment and they had the notary come and uh, sign right there. And Cuervo was furious. Beckman was furious that uh, my grandfather bought the property. So fast forward uh, 40, 50, 50, 60 years almost. And the property across the street from us here is uh, owned by Ramiro Orendine and uh, from the Orendine family. And he's got the just about the entire city block. And he comes to me and he's like, Guillermo, I want you to buy my property. And I, for about three weeks in a row, he comes and says the same thing, has coffee with me and we have a shot. And then, and then the fourth week he comes and he says, Guillermo, if you don't want my property, I'm going to go see Beckman. And I said, no, no, I want your property. We bought that property. But what really convinced me is that if you look on Google Maps at the whole area, that property had been about 130 years since it last sold. So the properties don't sell here very often. The families, especially big ones, the families hang on to them. And I mean, that's the way it is here. It's a small town with a lot of tradition and a lot of heritage. And so people don't want to give it up. And the same people, you know, the same family lives here years after years after years. And so it's an amazing place. That's what I, we're staying here. We're not going anywhere. We're going to continue to uh, build the business right now. We've got a couple of construction projects going on and 
Actually, I got 35 projects on the list to give you an idea how busy we are. But I have fun with it. You know, I, I, I like seeing the guys working. You know, we bring a lot of jobs into this town. We reinvest 100% of everything we make gets reinvested right here and growing. I have bought some more land, agave land. I bought over in La Quemada, which is about an hour west of here on the old highway. And uh, bought near Magdalena, I bought some uh, uh, land that we've planted with agave too. So uh, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy being out in the fields. I mean, if I had my way of, would be in the mud and then, well, right now it's dust because it's a dry season, but in the dirt and uh, mud, I just love being out in the field all day long. Also, was the woman's name Guadalupe Gallardo? Yeah, Gallardo was her last name. How she inherited is the Her name was Ana Rubio Gonzalez, and she was married to, I believe it was Jesus Flores. And when he died, she got remarried, and she married the capo or the hacienda manager who was Jose Cuervo at the time. I have this beautiful picture of him, too. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's one of these originals probably from the 19, early 1900s. And it was a hacienda that he ran here, and we had the hacienda still system until 1910 when the revolution came. And the haciendas were all 5,000 hectares and they were giant haciendas. The Gallardos, her father had a hacienda called Hacienda de San Antonio, which is just about seven kilometers from here. It's in ruins, but it's very cool to see. So when you come, I know the lady that owns it now and she's a cousin of them and she inherited it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful hacienda with all hundred year old mango trees, just, just about seven kilometers if I recall correctly. And we just got to get permission from her to go down there and see it. But it's a fantastic hacienda to see. And the Gallardo name is like on a plaque, you know, and the, the hacienda was built in 1850s. And it's, like I say, it's in ruins, but it's it's too bad she doesn't have the money to fix it up because it should be restored. At any rate, so uh, Gallardo's inherited from... Uh, uh, Jose Cuervo died, and then the Gallardos inherited it. And they, they were related, but I don't remember the exact way they were related to the family there. I don't remember how that actually worked, but they were childless. The Ana Maria Gonzalez and Jesus Flores didn't have any children, and she didn't have any children with Jose Cuervo either. Now, Malaquias Cuervo, he had children, and the next-door neighbor that was the grandfather of Jorge Saiz Cuervo, and I know Jorge's son very well, or grandson very well. He's a good friend of mine, and they still have, well, they manage a distillery right next door called Tequileño. They sold out a couple of years back to a Canadian guy who's a pretty nice guy, Wayne. He's a good guy. At any rate, we're, one of the projects on the museum is going to actually get these family trees up. We want to get the Orendine family tree up. Obviously, we'll get our family tree up. And we'd like to get the Tequila Cuervo, Jesus Flores tree up. And we'd like to get the Herradura tree up too, because that's an interesting tree from a standpoint of uh, what's happened with all these brands. I have a book that's fantastic that my great-grandfather put together of all the labels at the turn of the century. And it's it's a piece of artwork with all these labels that have disappeared. One was the Castellano, which was a factory right next to us. It's been in ruins since 1960s. Carvel just bought that property about eight years ago. I didn't know it was for sale because I would have bought it too because that probably hadn't been sold in, well, 20 years. But before that, it probably been 100 years. The Rosales family was running that. And one of the Rosales boys, he's got a factory called Lados now, which is a very big factory. So there's all this history of the people making 
tequila with the families. And it's very interesting. There's a guy named Ted Genoese. He's a writer for, he's an independent writer, but he's done already some work on tequila. He's writing a book on it. And he's found some fantastic facts. My um, great grandfather had to go to Monterey for six years because uh, Malaquias Cuervo had become the mayor of tequila and he was after him. They were very big competitors and they were after my great-grandfather and they tried to put false charges against him and uh, ted dug up all that stuff out of the old newspapers and so it's kind of cool so he's coming back down to work some more on his book and he's found a lot of interesting facts out about this used to be a pretty violent town a lot of assassinations and gunfights me as a kid i remember my grandfather always carried a gun he would sit at the breakfast table and the gun would come out and sit on the table I, i mean we knew not to touch the gun you know Unfortunately, he never took a shooting either, but uh, it was just that's the way it was here. He always traveled with a gun. There was a period of time he had two bodyguards with him all the time with machine guns during Luis Echeverria's presidency because, well, there's some people that say that he sold out to the cartels to make money, you know, and they let the cartels kidnap people to make money. So, um, anyway, a lot of interesting stories. And this fellow, uh, Ted Genoa, is quite an interesting uh, stories. But when you come down, we'll get you up to Los Altos, too. I have a friend, my friend Felipe Camarena, and then I know the other Camarenas, Carlos Camarena. So we can get you over that distillery so you can meet those people, really nice people from up in Los Altos. And you can see a couple of different uh, distilleries that way. I'd absolutely love to do that. I'm so excited. You know, we've been talking about just a lot of legacies and the future, but like we really need to focus on the past. So like I would really love for you to share your tatarabuelo, his story. Oh, of course. He was born in a small town. Zenobio Sousa was born in a small town near Chapala, Lake Chapala, on the south side of Lake Chapala. It's an agricultural town. In fact, we went up there not too long ago, Teocuitlitlan de Corona, it's called, and it's not many people. And we went up there and we just had a breakfast over there with some people. And and surprisingly enough, this lady remembered when my uh, grandfather had gone out there in the late 80s and he was doing some research. And this lady was an older lady and she remembered my grandfather coming out there. But we went to see where he was, uh, the town he was born. We didn't really see the house, but we saw the town. And came out here when he was 16, he came to Tequila because Tequila was a boom town with a lot of jobs and they weren't really agricultural related, but, you know, distilling is not really agricultural. And so he came out here and he started his brand in 1873. But I know before that, he worked on Hacienda San Martin that was belonged to one of the governors. So he was, uh, he could read and write. And a lot of people couldn't read and write back then. The only way you got to read, learn to read and write is there was no public school. So you had to go to the seminary or, you know, you had to go to the priest would teach people. So a lot of people couldn't read and write and he could read and write. And obviously he was a guy that could move. And so he uh, put his own brand in 1873, learned how to make. Most uh, haciendas in this area had uh, taunas or the stone crushing like we have here. This is not a hacienda here. This, I think the whole area was part of a hacienda at one time, but uh, maybe 300 years ago when they started selling pieces of it off. At any rate, he, uh, he died in 1909 and uh, my great-grandfather took over the company at the time and 
He built it into a, still a very small company when he died in 1946. He was born in 1883 and he died in 1946. And then my grandfather took over and my grandfather was born in 1903, but he didn't take over Tequila Sauce until 1946. And as were the boom years and, and my grandfather was had lived in the States a number of years. So he went to school up there so he could speak English and he was aware of the market up there. But uh, he built Tequila Sauce to be the number one brand in the world uh, for tequila. It was the biggest seller in the world. It was larger than Cuervo at the time. But uh he also had this program called Noches Tapatias, which is just an amazing folklore program of uh, folklore music. And that was the number one show for more than 20 years in Mexico. And he was the producer and the maker of that show and uh, sponsor, obviously, too. And anyway, my grandfather decided to sell when he was in his 70s, uh, 1976, he sold and he kept 30% of the shares, but they soon diluted him. You know, a company that never had losses in 100 years starts having losses, right, it's after he sells controlling interest. And so then they start asking him, you know, you got to put some money in because the losses. So they diluted him out of 16, half of what he had been kept with by the time he died. He died in 1990, and it was another 10 years before we had enough, before I was able to put together enough capital to start fixing this distillery. The distillery we have was built, you know, it's over 100 years old. And my grandfather bought this property in the 1950s. And it was not the original distillery, although Ted Genoese, who's been doing some of the research, says it may be. He's looking at some of the historical records. But my grandfather worked this distillery from the 50s to when he bought the property till 68 when he closed it down and the distillery became a museum. And I mean, literally it was a, you know, a relic. And people said it was crazy to bring it back to life. And we have a 1903 boiler. It finally blew up. So, but it gave us about 117 years of age service. And we started with that old boiler. We had to re-sleeve it and that took three months. And so... And we made our first distillation in 2002 and we sold our first bottles in 2005. And then, then the hard part start was trying to get distribution. That was really the toughest thing. Well, we started with the name Tequila Los Abuelos and we promptly got sued by a, a rum company that's from Panama, Ron Abuelo. So we uh, had to change the name in the States and they same company sued us in Mexico, but we beat them here. So we still uh, use the label Los Abuelos, which means uh, we'd like to use it as the grandfathers, but it means grandparents. And uh, we use Fortaleza label, the rest of the world. And we also use it in Mexico. So we sell the two brand names in Mexico, just so we don't lose Los Abuelos. We're in 20 countries now. We're in Japan. And I attribute that all, you know, it was tough getting distribution, but we finally figured it out after a few years of knocking our head against the wall. And we're sold in, I think, 39 or 40 states in the United States. And for a tiny little brand, we're very fortunate because we feel we've been adopted by the industry, all the restaurant industry and bar people, and as well as we have adopted them. And we're very, very fortunate to get the support of the industry people that they really want authentic and that's what that's what we provide no additives no colorings no nothing and 
that we even have a program for industry people. They can actually come down and work in the distillery. And we've had a lot of people. So if you're industry and like you're a bartender and you want to work here, you can come and work a week. We'll provide you the place to stay and some of your food, but uh, we're not going to pay you. So it's a learning education. We've had like 100 people take us up on that. So it gives them an experience of how tough tequila is to make, how to harvest and being out with the harvesting guys and having breakfast out there with tortillas cooked on rocks, you know. And so it's it's just an amazing experience here because everything's still done the way it was done 100 years ago here in our facility. You know, you go to, we do take people to other facilities so they can see, you know, more automation, more modern, like the modern diffuser that for making tequila, the diffuser is much, much faster and much, much more efficient. It's just an amazing experience for people to see. And, and, and you know, I feel like I'm an entire museum curator trying to keep everything is, I mean, we have about four kilometers of cobblestone roads inside our property and uh, over a thousand trees. And I think I'm running around 30,000 agave. I don't remember the exact amount. I should know that off the head, but it's not going anywhere. It takes uh, seven to eight years for it to mature. So it's not going anywhere. So if I don't know the exact number, it's okay. So it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's we get warm weather. Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, California inland. We get that kind of weather right now. And then the rain starts in usually middle of June, maybe late June. Sometimes we get an early June weather, but it doesn't really start consistent rain until towards the end of June. And then we get July, all July, a lot of rain, August, a lot of rain, September, a lot of rain, and then October, a little bit less, you know, a lot less, I should say, in October. The storms are shorter, and then all of a sudden, it's like somebody turned a spigot off. We might get two light rains in November and one in December and maybe one in January, and then we don't get nothing again until June. So there's about five months with no rain here, zero rain. So you got to have water coming from somewhere. But then it's like a jungle. It's about three weeks after the rain started, it turns into a jungle here. I, I love it. I mean, my to me, the weather's been the same as it was 55 years ago when I was a kid. It's exactly the same. Well, when I was a kid, there was no cars here at all. There was no cars. Like There was like three cars in the whole town, you know? There was pickup trucks, but there was like three because the companies all had pickup trucks. But nobody had a car, you know? We had a car in front of our house, and now you can't find a parking place because everybody has cars. But, you know, it's the way it is, progress. You know, you'd mentioned the the importance of legacy and keeping everything the same. And I think that it's so important to pay honor to our ancestors. And I heard that your Via de los Muertos parties are a whole event in themselves and you go and you honor all of your ancestors. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So we do a Dia de los Muertos event. And we have a couple of restaurants. A very good friend of mine runs a restaurant called Solari in um San Diego has won a lot of awards for his Italian food. and But the owner there, Randy Smirk, great guy, he puts together a trip every year to uh, bring uh, his clients down and they come down every year and they just have a great hit. We have industry people coming on a separate trip. And then another friend of mine, uh, Clayton Sheck, he's got a travel kind of group for tequila. So he puts together a group of people coming down and we take, including in the party, and it's, you know, it's a fiesta costume party and it's just fantastic. And then we do go to the cemetery where my tatarabuelo and tatarabuela are, and um, my whole family's buried in the tomb there. And so we go there and we spend some time in the cemetery and everybody fixes up their graves with this beautiful decorations of um, 
magnolia, not uh, carnation. That's not carnations. I'll think of the name of it in a minute, but it's the orange flower. Marigolds. Marigolds. That's it. Marigolds. And then they use a purple one, and I don't remember the name of that. Um, but that marigolds use the Indians felt the spirits could come through to the world that way. And so people go and they spend time in the cemetery and we go every year. We we didn't go this year. I feel bad about it, but we didn't go this year because we didn't do any of the events, but I intended to go there and just sit. But we normally go there and every year we've been doing it for like almost 20 years now. And we go and we sit and you tell stories about the people that are gone to keep their spirits alive. And the folklore is that the spirits can come through with the marigolds. They can come through and spend time with you at the gravesite. It's amazing to see all the graves decorated. It's not, people are blown away. And I, I can just tell you, I can't tell you how many people start crying because they don't even know where their grandparents are buried. And we know, I mean, that's our whole family there and our grandparents are great-grandparents and our great-great-grandparents. And so a lot to this tradition, it does provide a lot of emotion. I love it. I love doing it, though. I love it every year, and we do shots there. It's illegal, but, you know, we're Mexicans, so we don't really obey the law. And uh, <laughs> Especially not us. We're the worst. <laughs> IDs? Who needs an ID? You know, what the fuck? Idea of those Muertos is a lot of fun down here for people to experience. Some of your podcast listeners, there's many places to spend. Mexico City does a really good job for Dia de los Muertos, although the hotels all fill up because so many people come down to experience it. And then there's an area in Pascuaro and there's a lake. Uh, it's nearby there where the, the Indians will stay all night and they put candles out there. The island was a burial grounds. So there's a lot of cool things to see about uh, Dia de los Muertos, even in the small towns. Most people fix up their graves and it's just amazing what people do. And they're having barbecues in there. Like we're drinking tequila in there. We're not doing the barbecue in there, but we're drinking tequila. When it's not the day of, we, we do a couple of events. So we do them a couple of days before they allow me to bring my motorcycle in there and shit. So I'm going to get my grandfathers to go for a ride on it, you know. Uh, they put an altar up, and uh, it's amazing what pe- the beauty of uh, how they put them together. And we do ours in the museum, and then in the caves, we do one for all the bartenders that are gone, our friends that are in the industry. We put up one in the caves. We light it up, so it's pretty cool with candles burning and stuff. So when people come in, they that many people knew a lot of the bartenders that are gone. It's really wonderful. I think that your relationship with the industry is amazing because it's a hard industry. You know, I've been one of the people who have been in it. I have lots of friends who are in it. It's hard, but it's a, it's a lifestyle and those who love it definitely can't stop. Thank you so much, you know, for taking the time and being on the show. This has been such an amazing conversation. How can we support you, keep up with you and just stay connected? Well, I, I think the best way is, you know, through our website, we have a newspaper and you can, I believe you can register through that. We do have a mailing list. We have a fan mailing list and they're supposed to be putting out a newspaper, which I know they haven't really been doing, but I'm getting after them and, you know, what's going on here. And we have an industry newspaper focus for industry people. We got about I mean, there's a lot of people from the industry have been down. We've had over 4,000 people from the industry come down and fans are coming down all the time. We just really appreciate that people make the trek to come down and visit us and spend a little time here. Mexico's very safe. I mean, it's much safer than New York is right now. I'm, and I'm being serious. I'm not being facetious and I'm not banging on these mayors in these towns where they're having a crime wave now, but uh, it's very safe here. 
you know, there is wars, but it's wars between the what we call the narcos. They're warring most of the time between themselves, and they really leave the innocent, you know, the people alone. Uh, yeah, there's crime here, but I can tell you, in San Francisco, I can't tell you how many people I know told me they get their windows broken. You can't leave anything in your car because uh, people break in the windows. So. Uh, but come down, it's the best way is come down, help Mexico out. We, you know, everybody that comes down is creating uh, industry jobs down here. And uh, the people really, really appreciate it. I mean, they really realize how much Americans bring down here in terms of uh, revenue with this last year where everything's been closed. And I mean, many, many people have really, really struggled in the restaurant industry, as well as in the States when that started first happening. We did food boxes in San Diego before they got support checks going. And in uh, San Francisco and some a couple of the other cities, we did food boxes too for industry people. I mean, they didn't have any money coming in from anywhere. So if you mind me asking it, you're, are you still working in the bar? 2019, I did. I still make drinks and stuff like that. It's funny, actually, that Levo 2 I mentioned earlier, the infuser, they sent me one to promote on the podcast and like use and whatever. But I'm making honey and I'm making like a four course meal for my close friends and making cocktails and stuff like that. So I still dabble. I've never made tequila, but I love making drinks. So I think it's, you know, just in the blood. Well, we get you down here. We'll get you through a couple different distilleries so you can see it and and, uh, we'll let you get behind my bar. My cave bar. It's a real man cave. I hope that that's the infamous cave. <laughs> it is. It's the infamous cave. It's pretty big. It's underground and it's, you know, like it's uh, part of it was natural. My grandfather expanded it. But we have a lot of fun in there, you know. I mean, when we have our events, I have a ambassador, he, he and, him and I kind of, you know, we do an 80s, 90s thing and uh, everybody just has a lot of fun. And uh, when we, you, we end up closing around 1, 1231 because there's not many people left standing and uh, <laughs> we just yeah. have a blast. It's fun. If I had to do it every night, I would go crazy, but I get to do it like five, six times a year. So I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, no, that's fun. I'm personally down to like get lit anywhere, but especially <laughs> somewhere where it's like a better experience, you know? Thank you again so much for taking the time. And yeah, check out the show notes for all the different ways to support everyone. This has been such an amazing conversation. I got so much more than I bargained for. The ancestors came in real hard. Yeah, no, Bex, I loved uh, hearing the story. And from our perspective, I think that we're just honored to be able to continue our family traditions and to be doing the same thing that my great, great, great grandfather started out uh, on our family path for us. So it's real honor. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk with you and me. Hope we can see you soon. We will cross paths, I promise. Thank you again for listening. You can support Tequila Fortaleza by buying their product. If you can find it, the 2023 winter blend is out in the world somewhere. If you find a bottle of it, please hold on to it. I actually have a bottle from 2020, and I feel like my 2020 is for special occasions. I haven't even opened it yet, but I feel like when the time feels right, I will open it with someone or several someones. And I haven't been able to find 2023. And maybe I will if I'm lucky enough. I am hoping that maybe someone in Tequila has a 2021 because when I was in Tequila, I was able to find the 2020 and the 2022. So if you would like to check out Tequila Fortaleza, all of the details to do that is in the show notes. And hey, hit me up. I'm going to be back there soon. And maybe we can check out the distillery together. 
please check out my Instagram for all of the businesses that I also support for Small Business Saturday. And additionally, shout out to Two Terped. I was just on an episode. I'm going to include the link to that in the show notes. It's the first time I've been on a podcast episode in the St. Louis area. So I was especially so excited about it. I made a whole cannabis infused menu. Thank you, Levo Oil, for allowing me to do that. And also, last thing I want to mention, because again, it is Small Business Saturday. They have their Levo oil discounted right now. And if you want to save 10% off, you can use the code tu tia bruja, all one word. Don't put the little accent on the I. You know, we don't do that here, unfortunately. And you can get 10% off. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. I am really glad that you shared space with me and I look forward to doing it again. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.